Hello, everyone, and thank you for joining the Legion of Writers podcast. I'm here today with Jose Iriarte, and I hope I pronounced that correctly. Yes, that was excellent. We're doing a Zoom call, so I do apologize in, ahead of time for any uh, audio issues, uh, but we're trying to do our best with our Zoom calls. So, Jose, for, please, if you can, just introduce yourself and tell us a little bit about the stuff that you write. Okay. Um, well, I write uh, science fiction and fantasy short stories, and I write novels for young adults. I've got uh, stories published in a whole bunch of professional magazines, including Lightspeed Magazine, Strange Horizons, uh, Fireside Fiction, a whole bunch more. And I've got uh, stories, um, let's see, I was longlisted for last year's um, best uh, I think it's Best American Science Fiction and Fantasy, um, nominated for the Nebula Award last year and for the James Tiptree Award, and wow. uh, long listed for the Hugo Award, and um, know, that's, that's basically it. Outstanding. So sci-fi is your thing. Um, it's weird for me because um, I love science fiction and fantasy as a reader, but as a writer, I'm very much kind of on the periphery of it. Um, because I don't seem to start from the same place as a lot of other spec writers that I know. A lot of writers seem to start with, what if this thing about reality were different? What if this invention existed? What if we discovered that? And then they just kind of unroll and follow. And I'm, those aren't my questions. My, I'm generally, usually my stories are about kind of working through some emotional thing that I'm working through. And and I just use usually a contemporary fantasy setting. Sometimes I try to broaden that a little bit. Uh, often end up regretting when I try to go outside of that. Um, but just try to think, you know, what could I do with with these tropes that I've come to love as a reader that would allow me to explore that same thing. And then when it comes to publishing, because all I read is uh, science fiction and fantasy and young adult. Those are the markets that I know. So I'm trying to. to to push these things into those markets. And, you know, I've had some, some good luck here and there. Outstanding. So, but you also do flash fiction, correct? Yes. Yeah. You do. Can you explain a little bit about what flash fiction is? Well, um, different people have different technical definitions. I've heard going back far enough, people like real purists will say that they, that it ought to be under, let's say 750 words. Uh, I've even heard some people push it as far as it can be under 2000 words. I, you know, my ballpark just kind of off the top of my head, I call it a thousand words or less. But I think um, coming at how to write flash fiction, I think what makes a flash fiction story work for me is um, it's really hard to get all of the elements that you expect in a short story in terms of setting up a character and a situation and having them try and fail and, and try and succeed to solve a problem. So I think a lot of the heavy lifting needs to be carried, um, you know, on the reader's part. And um, so I think a, a successful flash story for me, generally, I look for there to be some sort of a conceit within the story, um, some sort of a, a symbolism or something that's doing double duty. So, um, for instance, I have a story called uh, Heart Stitch 
that uh, is about somebody who has the magical ability to look into somebody's heart or soul and, and see what are those wounds that need fixing and kind of reach in there and fix them. But I, I have a lot of weaving and, and sewing and patching metaphors there doing a lot of the heavy lifting for me. So I don't have to devote as much word count to really uh, establishing the, the mechanics of it. Wow, that's really cool. That's a, that's a great premise. I like Thanks. that. And you did that in how many words? Oh, gosh. Um, let me see if I can find a fast answer for you. Off the top of my head, I want to say it's like 800 words. Um, no way. Heart stitch, yeah, 800 words. Wow, that's amazing. Thank you. And like, it's, it's just like a, a little, you know, a little pop of a story. Yeah. You know, I think there's a lot of overlap between flash fiction and poetry. And that's kind of where I, I wish I had the, the poetry chops to, to write poetry, maybe someday. Um, but I kind of think of flash fiction as being on that edge or on that transition boundary between poetry and, pro, and longer prose fiction. Wow, that's pretty cool. So I know from um, from Elle, uh, who mm -hmm. you present with, and... Yes. and um, I know from her, you're a plotter, correct? Yes, very much, very much so. So, so when you go into a story, you know exactly where it's going to start, where it's going to go, and where it's going to end. Yes. Do your characters, are, so would you consider your work more character-driven or not? Or more you know, driven by you? I don't know what that phrase means. Um, I rarely encounter anybody who describes their work as not being character driven. So I, I am suspicious of that phrase. I don't find it to be very meaningful. Um, okay. my, my characters, um, by the time I'm done fleshing them out, they're, they're real and meaningful to me. Um, my protagonists generally are very rooted in my own feelings and the characters around them are generally rooted in people I know. So I don't have the sense of that they're not real or that they're not as real. Um, it's just, I think of plotter and pantser, and I'm a very extreme plotter, even by the standards of other plotters that I know. But I think of us as really doing the same thing. It's just at what point do we hang the decorations on the structure, you know? So I think I still am surprised by my stories. It's just that those surprises come to me before I've started to come up with nice turns of phrase. Oh, okay. All right. So I, I'm, I'm always impressed um, hearing the process for, for plotters mm -hmm. because I think the most I've ever been able to do is have someone who is a plotter guide me in an outline mm -hmm. of, of my own story and then let me go from there because I cannot just do it according to how I think I have it all planned out. Yeah. Um, well, and I, I know people who plot afterwards. They've written a draft and then they write an outline of it so that they can see how the story arc holds together and if there's things that aren't really carrying weight. So, you know, it's kind of like... Um, in high school English, if you ever wrote the, if you were ever required to turn in an outline and you're like, well, that's not my process, but you'd like faked it afterwards. Mm -hmm. I think that's actually still a useful thing to do. That's, that's actually a pretty, a pretty good idea. I think that's part of what I may do, but I'm not even mm -hmm. sure sometimes. Mm -hmm. um, I know I, I, I read something that you said um, because uh, in your other life, you know, you grade papers, yes. <laughs> you know, and, mm -hmm. um, and I was uh, tickled by something that you wrote where you were basically uh, telling folks, you know, you read for a living, you write for a living, you teach for a living, 
don't throw fluff at you throw stuff basically mm-hmm. yeah, you know, don't yeah. try to pad don't try to pad your 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 uh, your work your research with stuff that has nothing to do with what it is that you're writing about um, do you find that in books generally that writers will try to just fill in the word count as opposed to creating more story you know if it goes on in books I probably don't encounter it because um, I, I read books that are recommended to me by people whose tastes I trust, so so I don't run into that so much. Um, I think that's probably the sort of thing I see from time to time if I'm critiquing something from an aspiring writer, you know, and, and sometimes the opposite, sometimes not enough fleshing out the details. Um, but I, it, coming at it from a teacher standpoint, a lot of t- a lot of times students who are good with words, um, like I was when I was a kid, you know, we learned that oh, you can you can just make things sound pretty. And uh, <laughs> I wanted to throw a little Guilty. love out there. Yes, yeah, I was the same. You know, I wanted to throw a little love out there for for English majors because you know uh, I'm not bamboozled very easily. <laughs> you know that that's. Uh... <laughs> I remember having to do a comparative work between For Whom the Bell Tolls and The Old Man in the Sea. Mm-hmm. And I got to the point so quickly and I had to fill more words. Now what? Yeah. I was like, uh, but I already pointed, but no, it had to be so long. And I, I just remember just bringing up fluff yeah. about the yeah. stories and stuff and doing the compare. And I'm like, I know that was all. Yeah. <laughs> yeah. But I got to the point at the beginning, like that's what he wanted. So yeah. Um, yeah. So no, kudos, kudos to English teachers. You know, you, you put up with, with the likes of us. Well, I'm actually, I'm not an English teacher. I'm actually a math teacher. Um, and that's so people forget because I'm a math teacher that I, that I did double major. Um, so we have, I teach IB math. Uh, it's in the, okay. the international baccalaureate program and the kids have to do this internal assessment at, at some point before the end of their senior year. And it's, it's a, big massive in-depth paper where the goal is for them to demonstrate something that they have learned over the course of their studies by applying it and then just writing a detailed explanation of of what it means and their process and all that and so that's the place where and that's why i was saying you know specifically because i think a lot of times people have learned that specifically it's outside of english class where they can get away with just bsing oh very cool Mm. Very nice. So would you say that that math side of you is what makes you such a better, that analytical side? The uh, the sound broke up a little bit, but I think you were asking if if the math side of me is what makes me a plotter, and and it mm-hmm. it may may very well be that that's the case. I think to me the biggest thing, and this is my approach to any large task, including when I teach math, when I teach really complicated processes, is always to break things down into small bites. And so I know people who sit down in front of an empty computer screen. I would say a blank page, but that would be that would be out of date, right? Uh, sit down in front of a blank computer screen and they feel liberated and free and they're going to sit down and see what happens. But when I sit down in front of a blank screen, I am completely just, um, I I am daunted and and I feel like I have no idea how to even begin to do something. But then I remind myself, well, I know what a story arc looks like. I know what, what beats I need. Let me just write down those beats. And 
I know how to kind of achieve those beats with, I know what scene structure looks like in terms of somebody has a goal and there's some conflict and there's some sort of a surprise or resolution or something. And, and I know how to fine tune and I know how to have characters interacting with stimulus and response and the response is a new stimulus that needs to leads to a new response. And so if I can just break things down into really small tasks that don't in, by themselves feel intimidating to me, then the act of writing stops feeling intimidating to me. And before I know it, I've got a product. That's, uh, that's pretty cool. That that's, so I, I, I know you're a runner. You, mm -hmm. you, you like to run at least before. The oh, I don't like to do it. I, I don't like to run, but I sometimes do it anyway. <laughs> but you sometimes do it anyway. So you're, you're, yeah. you're a runner like I am, you know, mm -hmm. um, so I remember when I trained for a marathon um, yeah. and I talk about this in another podcast that's actually going to be coming out, I think tonight. Mm -hmm. uh, um, I broke down the marathon, which is 26.1 miles. Uh, uh, um, yeah. 26.1 miles into five, five milers and mm -hmm. 1.1 mile. Very much because the if same. I didn't, if I did not do that mentally, I could not complete that run. Yeah, and yeah. everyone thought I was crazy, but I could run five miles. Yeah, I yeah. just couldn't run twenty six miles. Right. Yeah. The first time, so when I, st I I took up running, I want to say it was right after the kids graduated high school, or actually as they were seniors in high school. So I want to say it was about three years or so ago, and I don't think I'd ever honestly run a a complete mile without having to walk in my life at that time. And I used a, a tracking app, and what I would do is I, I ran and I walked. Um, I walked a, a three-and-a-half-mile circuit, but I would say, well, I'm going to run a little of it, and I'll just see on my tracker how far I ran this time. Oh, I ran a quarter mile? Okay. Tomorrow, I don't care how little I run. I just need it to be more than it was yesterday. And, and you know, 0.26 miles the next day and 0.27 miles a day after that, <laughs> but bit by bit. You know, uh, I got to be able to run a 5K, you know. And, you know, that, that I think that translates so well to writing in mm -hmm. general. So many folks yes. think you need all this time to write the great American novel or whatever right. it is. Or you need all this time when really you can really break it down um, into sprints, into just moments when you can catch some time to write. I know you do a lot of conferences. I do conferences. I find some of my best time writing is at conferences. Um, wherever I can get those few minutes. Mm -hmm. Do you find yourself um, finding time wherever you can, or do you have a schedule of writing? A little bit more of the first, but I kind of have to push myself to get started. It's kind of like uh, when I was a little kid and my parents paid for me to have swim lessons and, and I learned how to swim, I still found it very difficult and intimidating to, to jump into a pool and, and do so. Um, but Every, and it never seemed to go away. Um, and But every time I would eventually push off the wall, oh, this is not that bad. And I'm kind of the same thing. It's really hard for me to, I'll, I'll, I'll have the computer on and I'll just, you know, check Twitter first just to see. And, and I'll just check Facebook first and I'll just check my email. And, and it's very hard to kind of push off from that wall. Um, but so what I use is I use an app called Write or Die. Mm -hmm. And I set a timer on it for 15 minutes and eventually I'll say, okay, you know, again, I can do this. I can just, I can sit in front of this thing for 15 minutes and if words don't come, words don't come, that's fine. And eventually I will just kind of close down and do that. And then 
um, the words do come. Um, I don't have a, a really huge attention span. So what I do is if I can do 15 minutes and then let myself do something else and then maybe do another 15 minutes and then do whatever else I, I want to do, uh, that gets the words out. Yeah, that, that I found out that that's the same thing with me. I can do 20-minute sprints. Yeah. But beyond that, I, I start to fidget. So yeah. it's just it's funny. Um, we were watching, uh, you know, today's Palm Sunday for those that, that practice that. And we were watching um, the live view from mm-hmm. the church we used to attend in Virginia. And it was just cool to watch. And 15 minutes in, I'm, I'm fidgeting. And yeah. I'm on my couch. Mm-hmm. You know? And I had to tell my wife, you see, it's not, I've always been this. <laughs> yeah. yeah. It doesn't matter where I am. It's not just the church setting. It's, I cannot sit for 15, 20 minutes. So these are a stretch for me. So I purposely sit on a chair that is just hard and I can grab. Mm-hmm. So I can just shift. So, but um, it's nice to know that someone else is, is yeah, yeah. Mm-hmm. a fidgeter. It's like, I, I, I don't know how people can just sit there and just bleed on paper. I can't, I can't do that. Although yeah. if I am on a roll, even if I get up and come back, are you okay with interruptions or do you just. I think uh-huh. if I'm on, if I'm on a roll, I think I can generally keep it. Uh, going um, when I'm drafting, when I'm revising. Yeah. Okay. Different mindset. Yeah. Different mindset, different rules. <laughs> yeah. Yeah. That's very much on my mind right now because I am revising right now. Oh, I'm sorry. I'm, I'm buying into your time. <laughs> <laughs> no so worries. Let me ask you, what, what constitutes research for you? What inspires you to write? Mm. Well, I'm really bad at it, and that's why I write mostly contemporary fantasy, because then I don't have to worry about world building or anything like that. Um, for anything else, I mean, sometimes it's sometimes it's easy, sometimes it's hard. So for – I have a, a story that came out last year uh, called This Wine Dark Feeling That Isn't the Blues, and I was just uh, clicking on StumbleUpon, which I don't know if anybody even still uses StumbleUpon, but uh, it's, it's an app, a web app that allows you to just find random internet pages that – that may be aligned with your interests. It's kind of the same as Pandora in terms of figuring out what your interests are. And I ran ran across uh, this little documentary page that talked about how before a certain point back in time, um, Western Europeans didn't have any word for the color blue. And it went off on it. it, it was, there was so much more to this, but but it talked about how historical text, like you look at uh, Homer's writings, the word blue doesn't appear there. Even when he would write about the sea, he would it was described as the the wine dark sea, not the blue sea or anything like that. And so you know, I'm looking at that and I go, oh simulation. The color blue didn't used to exist, and then there was a patch, and now it does. And I kind of spit out a story really, really quickly from that. But usually, if, if I really want it to be more like science fiction, um, really well-researched, well, actually, the novel that I'm revising right now is is based on the Mariel Boatlift uh, in 1980, in which like oh, 150,000 wow. okay. uh, Cubans came over to the yeah. United States. And I, I've done a ton of research for that. I've read books, and I've tried to make notes of, you know, use this, use that. Um, and it begins with Google, but, you know, I, I ordered books and, and read through those as well. And just looking for accounts is very interesting to me because, you know, my parents did not come over in Mariel. Uh, they came over before that. Um, so to me, 
even when it was going well, when it was going on, I was too young to really understand everything. And then even afterwards, it was kind of like just this word. Um, and I didn't know if Mariel was the name of a boat or, you know, eventually I found out that it was the name of, of a port in Cuba. But the people just go to the port and then, you know, and then I knew that there was something about the Peruvian embassy, but the Peruvian embassy is in Havana. So how does that work? Um, so it's been very interesting because I, I think everybody in my generation I think a lot of Cuban Americans in my generation are the exact same way. We don't really know what that is. And it's no. been interesting to, to uncover and, and dig up that stuff. Um, but on the other hand, I, I have a story coming out in an anthology called uh, My Battery is, is uh, I think it's called My Battery is Weak and It's Getting Dark or something. That story is inspired. My Battery is Low and It's Getting Dark. It's stories inspired by the, uh, the Curiosity rover, I think, uh, uh, the, the last message that it sent out from Mars. And they wanted specifically a story where a piece of obsolete technology finds new life. And oh my goodness, this is paralyzing to me um, because it's like they had given me the ending um, and it, and I had to make something make sense. So, you know, I wrote about, wow. yeah, I, I wrote about one of those, you know, the, the stovetop espresso machines, the mocha yeah. pots, but you know, yeah. when I was a kid, that's the kind of espresso machine that everybody had in their house. Exactly. You know, yeah. I actually have one. Yeah. 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 So I imagined a future setting a couple of years, hundred years down the line and no, not maybe that much, but hundred years and, and coffee has gone extinct uh, the way a lot of other like Cavendish bananas are going now and, and tried to come up with well, what else can you do with it? And I'm coming, looking for researching. What else could you use one for? Oh, you know, you can make cannabis butter out of it, or you can make herbs and, and, and extracts. And I'm trying to do the research, but it's like, I've got the conclusion before I've got the rest of the story. And it was so, so hard for me. Really? But you did it. I, I turned in a story and they seem to like it. Okay. So, you know, when the book comes out in July, uh, we'll see how the reviews go. Um, right, but that, that was excruciating. I love, I love pushing the envelope on things I'm not comfortable writing on. Yeah. Um, so uh, one of the things that I'm determined, I'm going to get one of you guys to eventually participate. Um, the Thrill of the Hunt anthologies. I write, you know, we do thrillers. And just about every author except for one had never written a thriller or a horror story. Mm -hmm. And they would write me and say, I can't do that. Yes, you can. I give uh -huh. you a theme. Yes, you can. And the biggest takeaway from that afterwards is usually, oh, man, I did it. You know, I'll never do it again, but I did it. <laughs> you know? Yeah, so, it's, it's good. To put, uh, it, it's it, always it, good to, to write outside of your comfort zone. Yeah. Even yeah. if and you I, only do it once. And I'm trying to get, I'm trying to broaden the things that I can do so that it doesn't feel like I'm going back to the same well so that that well doesn't run dry. So, sure. So that's, you know. Um, like, I really don't write a lot of science fiction. It's mostly contemporary fantasy. But mm -hmm. I, I know that in the magazines that I sell to, they generally get a lot more fantasy submissions than science fiction. So if I could write more science fiction, I would broaden my options. So that's something I keep trying to do again and again, you know, with more or less success different times. But it's a place where I do want to broaden my wheelhouse. Okay. So who is your writing role model? Who do you... Who do you aspire? Not I, I hate saying aspire to be like, but who is it whose writing grabs you and you're like, man, that that's just it gets me every time. So there's an amazing young adult writer, uh, Amy S. King. Uh, she publishes young adult as A. S. King, and she publishes middle grade as Amy S. King, I think. 
Um, she wrote, uh, please ignore Veredites. Everybody sees the ants. And my favorite of her books, Ask the Passengers. Um, just amazing, emotionally powerful. I'm going to call it magic realism. And I know that magic realism is a fraught term. Um, so magic realism or very, very light touch uh, fantasy or fabulism, which is very similar to what I write. Um, emotionally, just um, just kind of ring you out. And, and that's the sort of writing that I aspire to also. And, wow. and her, her work is just amazing. Really? I'm going to have to. I keep getting all these recommendations and stuff. I'm like, I'm not going to have room on my Kindle. Will it blow up eventually? Maybe. <laughs> I, in particular, I would recommend Ask the Passengers. Just a wonderful, wonderful book. Really? Okay. Mm -hmm. All right. I, I, and I take all these. So I've actually downloaded some things in the past couple of weeks. I got more to download now. Mm -hmm. So um, let me ask you, you, you present at different conferences and workshops and stuff like that. What is, what is your favorite thing to present on? I really like to talk about craft. I don't know if it's a favorite thing or if it's just because nobody else seems to want to do it. Or, or it's not that nobody wants to do it, but that I find that a lot of people in the audience want to talk about business. And when I was starting out, talking about business is nice, you know, before I was published because it allows me to daydream about getting that sale, about you know, sure. getting some kind of recognition. But if I didn't learn how to actually craft a sellable story, none of that other stuff is going to matter. And so I have this strong sense of we need to talk more about story arcs. We need to talk about more about wordsmithing. We need to talk more about, you know, um, how to polish. And, and, uh, and so I try to push for that a lot because it seems like everybody wants to talk about how to make up an elevator pitch. And okay, I'm happy to talk about how to make up an elevator pitch, but if your book's not good, it doesn't matter how good your elevator pitch is. That's true. That's true. I just got that, uh, that same talking to from somebody because I was looking five steps ahead and mm -hmm. she was like, finish the damn story. And I'm like, Sorry. It's just for me, sometimes I have to see what's coming yeah. to be able to finish what, what I'm doing. Yeah. Um, yeah. But no, but you're right. There is not a lot out there about craft and someone. And even when you do teach about craft, I've been in some of your sessions. Everyone goes back to the questions about business. Yeah. Yeah. That's what everybody wants to talk about. <laughs> yeah. And I, I know I, I've actually sat in one of your sessions one time and I'm like, that's not what the class is about. People yeah. like, focus. But no, they just want to know about, you know, about the outcome and, and what yeah. they can do instead of doing it, learning how to do it in the first place. Um, I know I've gotten a lot out of your out of your workshops and your presentations. I really appreciate that. Thank you. No, I mean, every every time I, I was uh, talking about this with Saritza Hernandez, um, I just did a, a Zoom call with her yesterday. Mm -hmm. Every time I go to a workshop, even if I've gone to your workshop four times, I always learn something new. So I always try to go again. Because mm -hmm. I don't know what new thing came up that you're now integrating into your presentation. Yeah, yeah. And it's always something. Um, and in terms of craft, you're right. We don't teach enough about craft. We don't want to learn enough about craft to better mm -hmm. ourselves. For me, I know revision is is a uh, is hard. Polishing is hard. Um, what is been, one way yeah. that you would recommend for folks to polish? Do you recommend reading out loud? 
reading absolutely yeah that is the last thing in my process after everything else i've done is i read through out loud and so much pops out at me then um i'm not good at for instance noticing my repetition of words lisa's Mm -hmm. fantastic about that um ella's fantastic about that um she can spot it just visually but if if i hear it out loud i'll notice it but if i just see it on the page i'm a lot less likely to um yeah i um so I've always been really good at polishing, but less good at the big stuff, the, the stuff where um, where a Band-Aid doesn't fit it, but where I'm going to have to remove entire scenes or chapters and replace them with new ones. And oh, I, found, okay. I, I have found myself doing that uh, with this current project. Um, and it makes me hopeful, although it's certainly not a, a pleasant process to do, it makes me hopeful that, that I've that I've maybe not mastered, but gotten through some, learned a little bit about something that I needed to, that I needed to get better at. Wow. Well, one, I'm, so I'm working with a co-writer right now, uh, Mm -hmm. which is a little new to me, um, but I, it's all in first person. I don't write first person. Mm, I love first person. (laughs) So that in and of itself is a challenge for me. And so when I get stuck, I write completely passive because I know that she'll catch it and she'll remind me to go back. Yeah, and she yeah. does. And the best compliment I think I've ever gotten was that was the cleanest read I've ever seen. And I was like, score. I don't know what <laughs> yeah. the hell I wrote. What did I write? Was it good? <laughs> it's like, yeah, it was good. I'm like, okay. Cause I haven't done the read back yet. Mm-hmm. And that terrifies me right now because it's first person. So you write solely in first person. Is that your, your not social? solely? No. Um, so I don't think of myself, I, I do like to write in first person and I like to write in present okay. tense. Um, and um, when I was learning to master deep third, what I would do is I would write it in first person beforehand and then switch it into third person. And I found that was a really good way to learn that kind of deep penetration point of view. Wow. Okay. I'm going to have to try that. Yeah, it was uh, great. Yeah. That's um, uh, really interesting. First person scares me. I don't know why. See, I find I, it to be, I, I feel lazy when I do first person because it feels like it's the easiest. It feels like it's the easiest to get voice out of. And see, for me, um, someone hearkened something that I, I wrote before. They said, you write it like a TV, like a TV mm. episode. And I'm like, well, damn, teach me how to write a screenplay then. I'd love to. But, but that's, I'm more, you know, like what's going on out here as opposed to let me show you what's going on through my eyes. So, um, I, I, you know, props for being able to do that. I find it so difficult. Um, and I'm, I'm, I have to say I'm jealous that you can, that you're comfortable with it. Um, I'm still learning to get comfortable with it. I don't think there's any better or worse. Um, I do feel that when I set out to write something new, um, there's only one particular tense and, and point of view where I've, where the words start, I'm already imagining the words, you know, so I don't think of myself as a very mystical or woo-woo story, uh, writer, but that's the one place or one of the places where I do, I feel like the story tells me what point of view it needs to be written in. Oh, cool. All right. I like that. So you are traditionally published. Yes. Right. Okay. So would you say that there are certain genres that are very, very specific to first person, third person, and so on. 
It feels to me as just kind of a gross generalization, but it feels to me that the younger the readers you want to attract, uh, the more apt they are to prefer first person. And the older the readers you want to attract, the more apt they are to prefer third person. So young adult is, well, although middle grade is is a big contradiction to what I just said, um, but young adult is largely first person. I was about to go, aha. Yeah, yeah, yeah. Um, but but so I don't read or write a lot of middle grade, so that's why I wasn't thinking about that. Um, young adult, very largely uh, first person. Um, wh- I think when I'm writing a short story for older readers, um, the the older my protagonist is, the more likely I am to to hear that story in third person. So I have a uh, a story. Uh, see if I can remember what it's called. Um, Life in Stone, Glass, and Plastic. Uh, or for that matter, the story that I just turned in uh, for the My Battery is, is Weak anthology, um, where the uh, the protagonists are, are in their 60s, and both of those stories are, are in third person. just feels more natural. Wow. Okay. So I, I, I've enjoyed talking to you. I always enjoy talking to you guys. Um, I, I wanted to say thank you for joining me. Um, but at the same time, I want to ask you, would you be willing to come on maybe and do a podcast just strictly about craft? I would love to. Yeah. Okay. And we can just focus on craft. We can maybe come up with some questions, some, some, uh, question answer stuff that we can like really delve into a little bit, maybe give some tips out there and some resources, uh, that folks can go after and stuff yeah, but specifically yeah, we- on, on craft. We probably want to narrow it down even more than that um, to a specific element of craft. But yes, uh, yes. Absolutely, yeah. Definitely. All right, wonderful. So you heard it here. He, he, he said yes, he'll do it. So um, I'm looking forward to this. Thank you so much for joining me. I know it's the day after your birthday. So happy birthday from us to you. Um, enjoy this uh, lovely confinement that we are subject right. to right now. I hope that's inspiring some stories for you. It certainly is for me. Um, Unfortunately, it's also bringing back some memories of some short stories I wrote three years ago that related to this. So I guess mm. I should do something like that. Yeah. <laughs> but well, thank you for joining us. Um, go ahead. I just wanted to thank you. It's always fun to talk to you. Oh, thank you so much. And thank you all for joining the Legion of Writers podcast. Um, Jose will be available again. So I'm very happy about that. And from all of us to all of you, stay safe and peace. <laughs>